Hello and welcome to the FIEC podcast where you'll hear teaching and resources for church leaders to help independent churches work together to reach Britain for Christ. What will mission look like for churches in the post-Covid world? In this webinar, FIEC National Director John Stevens is joined by Ed Stetzer, Professor and Dean at Wheaton College and Executive Director of the Billy Graham Centre to discuss mission in the post-Covid church. This is followed by a Q&A with church leaders. As usual, we're going to start by um, turning to uh, God's word as uh, we begin um, our time uh, together. I don't know about you, but I think two of the big um, uh, problems that we've had to deal with during this kind of uh, coronavirus period, particularly times of lockdown and restriction, are the emotional feelings of loneliness and powerlessness. Maybe we've felt loneliness as we've not been able to engage with people and meet others in the way that we would want to. And we felt powerless in that we've not been able to um, solve um, uh, uh, kind of the situation. Uh, We felt that we um, are are very much in the hands of uh, others. We feel lonely and we feel powerless. And I wonder if that is often the way that in fact we feel about gospel ministry. As we engage in gospel ministry, particularly in a post-Christian secular context, as a small marginalized minority, we might feel lonely and uh, powerless. Well, um, uh, as we um, uh, come uh, towards uh, Christmas, uh, many of us are probably thinking about uh, Christmas carol services, Christian um, uh, sort of uh, 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 outreach uh, events. Um, uh, And um, uh, although we're remembering the Christmas story, we're also particularly thinking about our mission to reach out to our communities. And whilst we might be thinking about the very beginning of Matthew's gospel as we remember the Christmas story, I want to take us to the end of Matthew's uh, gospel as we think about the mission that uh, Jesus has given us uh, to undertake. Because although we might feel uh, lonely and powerless, uh, Matthew and the Lord Jesus encourages us that as we engage in our mission and our ministry, we are not on our own and we are not uh, powerless. So let me read from Matthew 28, verses 16 to uh, 8 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of uh, the age. I want you to just look at that very last uh, phrase, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, which I think is a tremendous encouragement for us um, in our mission. Um, uh, The disciples might have felt at this time, and we might feel that the mission Jesus has given to undertake is not possible, that it's too big a task to be taking uh, the gospel to the nations and to make disciples of all nations. But this verse reminds us, this closing of the gospel reminds us that our mission is possible because of Jesus. It's possible because of his promise of his personal, powerful, permanent presence with his disciples. Let's just reflect on uh, each of those. Firstly, here, Jesus is giving his disciples a promise. He says, I'll surely uh, be with you. Jesus is promising that even though he's going to ascend to heaven, he is still going uh, to be with them. Of course, he's going to be with them uh, through his Holy Spirit. Uh, That's a key theme of of the endings of all of uh, the Gospels. It's a promise. Secondly, it's a promise um, uh, that is personal. Jesus says, I will uh, be with you. 
the same Jesus that they have known through the course of his uh, life and ministry is the one who is still uh, going to be with them. It's a promise of his powerful uh, presence. Uh, Jesus says to them, I am with you always. And I think that reference to I am here is at least an allusion to the divine name uh, of uh, God. Jesus is, after all, the one who has been given all authority in heaven on earth. He is the son of man who fulfills the divine vision um, uh, of the book of Daniel. The one who is present with us is none other than God uh, himself. The promise is of his permanent presence. He is going to be with his people to the very end of the age. In this last era of salvation history, Jesus will be with his people uh, throughout. The task will be accomplished. And of course, the promise is of his presence. Jesus says, I will be with you. So as we um, undertake our gospel ministry, when we perhaps feel lonely, we feel powerless. Let's remember that our mission is possible because of Jesus' promise of his personal, powerful, permanent presence. I know that many of you are feeling weary as we head into this Christmas period um, with all that needs to be done, with overcoming all of the restrictions that we face. But let's not lose heart. Let's uh, keep focused on the mission that uh, the Lord Jesus has given us. And let's be confident that he is present with us to enable us to accomplish it. Our ministry is not ultimately a futile gesture, but a task that will be accomplished because of Jesus' promise to us. Let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder from the end of Matthew's gospel that Jesus sent his disciples out to make disciples of all nations. And thank you that we have the privilege of still being involved in that work today. Father, sometimes it can uh, feel wearying. Sometimes we lose heart. Sometimes we feel on our own and often we feel powerless. But thank you and praise you for the promise of the Lord Jesus to be present with us. Thank you that he is present by his spirit. And thank you that he is the one who enables us to undertake and accomplish the mission that he has given. May that be a tremendous encouragement to us, both as we look ahead to Christmas and the opportunities that we have and to um, our mission beyond. Please be with us in this webinar. We pray that you'd speak to us through Ed. Help us to uh, think about how we can minister most effectively um, in these times after COVID. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, I think today um, there isn't any great substantive change in regulations um, that I'm aware of connected with um, uh, sort of COVID. We spoke last week in the webinar extensively about the latest um, uh, regulations that have been introduced. I gave an extended um, explanation of what that will mean for churches um, in the run up to Christmas. So um, if you haven't heard that uh, or you want information about what the current rules are applying to churches, can I recommend you go back and look at last week's uh, kind of webinar where that is all set out. There will be opportunity for questions at the end. So um, uh, you can ask me any questions that you have, but the basic information was all there last week and it hasn't significantly changed. So I want to give as much time as possible this week as we can to um, uh, Ed. So I'm going to hand over to um, uh, Ed. And again, Ed, we're delighted to welcome you. Thank you so much for being with us um, this morning. Well, good morning, and thank you so much for having me. I'm going to, uh, I like to post a little screenshot of the folks that I'm talking to. So if you want to smile and look at the camera, I'm going to take a little, if you're in the witness protection program, it'd be a good opportunity <laughs> for you to duck. So let me just uh, get a nice screenshot of all of us. Good. So, well, it's, it's, uh, it's been interesting. I actually um, have become a regular follower of John's um, tweets because he's been so 
helpful in articulating kind of responses to different levels of restrictions, though our restrictions have not been the same, uh, thinking of how to respond to them, creative ways and others have been very helpful. And so John, thank you for your for your work and for your your ministry. I, uh, I'm gonna share my screen so that we can uh, look through together. So many things I could thank John for. One of them, of course, was a beautiful time at Hemsby. And so I very much, I very much miss that. And I just thought I'd share the, the joy that is that, that location. I'm not sure everyone had the opportunity to see me hug John and to see us go to Hemsby, but boy, did we have fun going to all those shops, walking down that street right there. But what, it's not what we're talking about today, though. What we're talking about today is the, uh, the post-COVID church. Now, it may seem strange to talk about the post-COVID church when the worst days of the pandemic may be ahead of us. But nevertheless, I want to I step into that space because I, I think that it's important for us to sort of think through what it means to look ahead to what might be next. Now, we um, early, early and quickly, one of the reasons um, that we ended up talking a lot about post-COVID or the COVID church is early, I was able to connect and we created the, uh, <clears throat> the website, the coronavirusandthechurch.com. It was the, one of the first websites that were out there sort of helping churches think through how best to engage in COVID-19. And um, as we kind of tracked this along the way, um, we tried to help churches. You know, I, I did a Facebook Live from my, uh, from my basement before we figured out how to do all these things like sharing screens and PowerPoints. Um, and uh, a couple hundred thousand people watched that Facebook Live talking about, here we're, here we're about to go into a crisis, what does it look like? So, but now increasingly we're being asked, what does it look like in a post-COVID world? Now, again, I want to caution us, we are not to a post-COVID world yet, but that's my assignment and I'm happy to do it. So let's, let's take a look and I'll share with you a little of the context that we're dealing with on our own. This is the church where I'm currently serving. Uh, I think when I was with you in 2016, I was the interim pastor at the Moody Church in Chicago. And I'm no longer at the Moody Church. I'm now at this church. This is Calvary Baptist Church in New York City. It's uh, some Stephen Olford's, the former pastor there. So some of you would know of Calvary. It's on West 57th Street and, and in Manhattan in New York City. You see that building behind it. That's a super tall. The tallest condominiums in the world are being built right now on. It's called Billionaire's Row. And I will tell you that that building is not our friend anymore. It's not our friend in New York City. We can't get into it. We are locked out of it. We're, we, we've had one gathered service since March, one gathered service since March. And so all of a sudden we're having to ask questions that we didn't have to ask before. And that's sort of what I want to jump into is I'm going to go through a series of issues. The first one being ecclesiology and, and walk through these issues about the post-COVID church. And we'll go through them one at a time. When it comes to ecclesiology, I want to call you to consider something. I want to call you to consider that in the in the midst of COVID-19, that our, our, our answer might best be to adopt a temporarily deficient ecclesiology for the sake of the mission, but in the emergency for the sake of the mission. Now, I want to explain and unpack all that because I, I want to, I'm, I'm, I don't use any of these words casually. All these words are intentionally chosen. Um, I think part of the challenge right now is, and I'm, I'm kind of cautioning a lot of pastors in a lot of churches, trying to right size this for you. Uh, I'm cautioning a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, not to let COVID-19 create your ecclesiology, but to let your ecclesiology guide you through COVID-19. And there's an important distinction uh, between those two. Don't let COVID-19 create your ecclesiology. You let your ecclesiology guide you through COVID-19. So how, how might we do that? Well, a couple of ways, and we'll kind of talk through that is that in, a, in, a, in my field's missiology, which of course ecclesiology is always gonna be a part um, of that conversation. But, but when I think about these words, right? 
um, I, I do I do think that we we need to be careful to not articulate that we have just moved online and it's the same thing. Now, again, keeping in mind that if that's what John did last month, that's okay. If, if John say, if you're doing that now, you have a different view. I just have a view. I'm going to share my view and you don't have to share my view. But I, I think that uh, what, what has happened is a lot of churches that I've seen engaged have said, listen, this is just, don't think of this as not, the church is still meeting, the church never closed. And, and, I, and I get that language. And what I would say to you is using that language normalizes that which you don't want to normalize. And you want people, in my view, to see that, no, this is temporarily deficient. And this is not how it's supposed to be. And we're going to get back to how it's supposed to be. And the heart and passion of our lives is to get back moving from electrons to avatars to back to feet and faces. Uh, so it's a temporarily deficient ecclesiology in the emergency for the sake of the mission. Now, now this is not uncommon to what has happened in the history of the UK. Uh, churches took on temporarily, temporary measures during, uh, during key parts of World War II and more and in doing so said, we are acknowledging this is not normal, this is not how it's supposed to be. So again, the language I'm using is temporarily deficient ecclesiology in the emergency for the sake of a mission. But I think you really need to, and here's my encouragement, my encouragement, I think you really need to, while doing that, while acknowledging that that's what you're going to do, is to let people know this is not how it's supposed to be, and this is not how it's going to be long term. And if you can, if you can articulate that, I think you'll be in a better place when the pandemic is over, because that's what we're talking about now is a post-pandemic uh, reality. So, so thinking in terms of a temporarily deficient ecclesiology in the emergency for the sake of the mission. So I think here we're going to talk about Christology, missiology, and ecclesiology, the pandemic and our church plants. How might we think about them? How might we move forward? Years ago in a book I wrote, I talked about there was a missiologist that actually is a dear friend and articulates a little bit differently, who said that our Christology should lead to our missiology, should lead to our ecclesiology. Think of it as sort of a linear way. Christology to, to missiology to ecclesiology. Well, if that were the case, and if Christology is, you know, who is Jesus and what does he send us to do? And missiology is the question, and I'm very much simplifying these things, as you can imagine, and I'm very much simplifying the language. So, but if, if missiology is what forms and strategies should we use to most effectively expand the kingdom where we're sent, and if ecclesiology is what expression of a New Testament uh, church would be most appropriate in this context. And it's just a linear reality right now between Christology and ecclesiology is the greatest global disruption of church life in the history of the church, largely because of how we responded. Uh, there's this, this is not the worst pandemic that we've had before, but never have we responded by eliminating by the, with the capacity of churches to meet. Never has that been the case. So so if that was just a linear thing, our, our ecclesiology could be anything we want it to be. And in the emergency, it may be things that it normally wouldn't be. But we have to bring these things back together. The Christology, missiology, and ecclesiology are all based in a scriptural theological foundation. Application lived out, spirit empowerment, and more. And so we have to think in terms of these elements in the life of our church need to be things we're thinking about now, right? Thinking about now about how we engage in the mission now and later. Um, the, Wilbur Schenck puts it this way, uh, the Missio Dei, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of that mission, the Holy Spirit's the power of that mission, the church is the instrument of that mission, and the culture is the context in which that mission occurs. So if the church is the instrument of that mission, what now in the church needs to be temporarily deficient in the emergency for the sake of the mission, and how do we communicate that 
in the moment we're in, because the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. Our, our uh, centered, gathered space of church has been impacted. So I'm convinced that in times like this, really in all times, but in difficult times, we need to think, um, we need to do what, and again, I've, I've literally been watching John and the uh, FIEC. So uh, and I've been learning from what you're doing and saying. And you're thinking in ways that are, you're thinking theologically, you're thinking biblically, and you're thinking missiologically. Those are the right questions. Those are the right framings to ask in the midst of this pandemic. And so how do we, how do we then move forward uh, in the midst of it? Well, first, um, I think we've got to acknowledge and we've got to communicate that ecclesiology is not our strength. And, um, and ecclesiology, now I recognize that, that in the F, uh, FIEC, ecclesiology is more your strength than just in some free churches, um, uh, completely disengaged or more. But uh, we, we have, you know, we've, we've been influenced by uh, nine marks and, you know, we, uh, you know, such a driving, I, ha I had Mark um, Dever, um, I had Mark Dever come and speak to a class I had, we were in, in our nation's capital uh, in October and Mark came and he talked about, I just had him talk about ecclesiology, why? People say, why are you having people talk about ecclesiology in the pandemic? You need to be talking about missiology, do whatever you need to do to reach people. And, and, and I would just say to you is that we, we know that there are always unintended side effects. I'll give you a pretty simple example. Since most of you have a passion for church planning and many of your churches have been planted. When I was a young church planner, I told everybody of the benefits of being a church plant. Just think of this. We get to be together and we're a small group and we get to have these relationships. And, and we're like a little squad on mission for Jesus. And I, I, I convinced everybody that I loved being on a squad that was on mission for Jesus. We'd always know each other. We'd always be in community with one another. And then our church grew. And then our church was 125 and then it was 200. And then I basically had to undo all of the positive attributes. I would just say to you, do not, in your desire to engage with people, overemphasize the positive attributes of temporarily deficient experiences that convince people that this is good enough. And after the pandemic, remember, that's my assignment from John, that after the pandemic, they'll say, well, it was good enough before. Why isn't it good enough now? Now, now people take different reasons. The church I'm serving, Calvary Baptist Church in New York City, they do the Lord's Supper um, online. In my, you know, and again, I'm the interim of that church. The interim doesn't get to decide all those things. Um, I, I actually would not. I actually would say we are going to wait to gather and with great joy partake in the Lord's Supper. Not you may again. The FIEC may have already had seminars and webinars on this. I don't know. I'm for you. So you know, this is my thought. Because part of the challenge is, is that um, this is from Husbands and Trier in their helpful book, the, the Community of the Word. The strength of evangelicalism. Oh, look at the typo in the middle of my my text. I can't do that. Uh, the strength of evangelicalism is its willingness to adapt its practices to the demands of Christian mission. That's what we are doing right now. The weakness is it's willing to neglect our identity within the people of God. An improvisational ecclesiology recognizes the demands of adaptation and, and faithfulness, committing us to both adaptation and faithfulness. That's where we are. We're going to over-adapt now, but if in this is why the temporarily deficient, but if we over adapt in such a way that it undermines our long-term faithfulness, the Lord will not be honored and the church will not be served. Giving us to both, we must learn properly confess and word indeed the church is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. But what that marks, what those marks mean in particular times and places, require discernment under the Holy Spirit. So this ecclesiology question, I keep coming back to, 
is because I think the, 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 when we look to some ideas of what it means for the church in this time, it's a reminder that God is a sender by his very nature. This is now uh, the consensus among evangelicals, actually also among conciliar missions and Catholic missions, is that God is a sender by his very nature. He sends, God sends. God is a missionary God. So therefore the church is to be a missionary church. This is a missionary moment. This is a moment for us to enter in with some temporarily deficient ecclesiology in the emergency for the sake of the mission. However, and, and I would add too, the church doesn't have a function of mission. The church exists for mission. It's not that the church finds a mission. It's that God's mission has your church. And so, so, so that's the call that we ultimately have. So I've talked before, and I use this language when we were gathered at that wonderful paradise called uh, Hemsby. And in there, I talked about the, uh, the church is to be certain things. The church is to be certain things. The church is to be biblically faithful, uh, which I think FIEC churches would all say amen. Um, culturally relevant, culturally, you could use a term, if you like to use a term that's softer than that, uh, culturally appropriate, culturally discerned, uh, counterculture, community for the kingdom. And right now, we're probably being stretched. We're not in, in kind of the reformed, reformedish, Baptistish world where I live and think, this is not a natural inclination for us. Um, stretching ourselves in these times is not normal. We, 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 and I could go, you know, when I go to, I, I was at a conference, we actually mentored through the our partnerships here at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. We've mentored 10,000 churches through the pandemic. And most of them are connected through our Send Institute, which is our church planning arm. And we didn't have to tell them to be culturally relevant. We needed them to tell them to be biblically faithful. Well, here's a time where you're probably being stretched missiologically and your missiological muscles are being stretched. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to look at the, the camera. My, your pictures are over here for, for me. So I'm trying to look at you and see if any of you are bodybuilders. And I'm, I'm not seeing anyone any close to that. So which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm not seeing any uh, pump in the iron. So, um, but think about a bodybuilder who has been spending um, all the time in the upper, working the upper body, right? And, uh, you know, working the bench press, uh, all that kind of stuff. And they're just huge up here, just huge. Like, welcome to the gun show and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then the lower, they never do legs. They skip leg day. And so they skip leg day a long time. And they got these tiny little spindly legs. And you would say to that person, you've kind of skipped leg day and you need to you know, work out more equally. Well, can I just tell you in the kind of our tribe, uh, we tend to be more upper body. We're theological, we're focused on the gathering. We're, we're, we're drawing forward with substantial effort and energy um, to the theologically robust nature of who we are. But our, our legs, those mission driven legs tend to be a little bit spindly. A little bit weaker and there are things we have to do i think to, to to shore that up and many of you have and do and and you're an example to me and to others and i would just say that this is this has actually given us all leg day we've been on leg day for since shutdown and being on mission caring for people and i think that's good i think that's 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 good but it can't be um it can't be permanent we have to find a place where we get to the place where these things are biblically faithful living out the marks of a church culturally relevant a counterculture community of the kingdom that needs to be who we are and i know i know that you're you're working through these things i'm actually i'm actually gonna go come and live in the uk for six months in 2013 so in the fall 2013 and beyond and so i'm hoping to see just post pandemic what god is doing and how your churches are flourishing because i know they i know that they 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 will be so i would just say that you know this is you know ecclesi ecclesiology talk is not new to F the world of fiec 
but it just reminds us the church matters and how we do church matters as well. And it matters in a pandemic. And so I would just say some principles is, um, and then I'm going to move away from ecclesiology, is elevate your ecclesiology right now. Talk more about it, not less about it. Point out the fact that you're in a temporarily deficient situation. Name it. See, I think part of the problem is when people hear me say temporarily deficient, are you calling us to be deficient? No, I'm saying you already are. I mean, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so if this is, we're not able to function fully as a church, if we're not able to, I mean, the challenges of partaking in the Lord's Supper now are, are, are keeping many people from doing so. The gathering, you know, and, and it depends on where you are. You know, in Chicago, where I live, in the city, it's against the law to have more than 10 people in a group, you know, so I don't know what your current lockdown is, but I think it's more severe than most of the states. So elevate your ecclesiology in this time, teach on it, teach on it as, you know, I had one Christian leader here in the States, she tweeted on Easter, this past Easter, she said, um, and I'll tell you, it was stunning. I, I was actually finishing up my interim at Moody Church. I was the interim at Moody Church for four years, almost four years. So I was the interim at Moody Church longer than three of their pastors were the pastor of Moody Church. Um, but so I, I, um, I, on Easter Sunday, there, there was this empty room. And some of you, I mean, I made, had you raise your hands in Hemsby, and probably half of you have been to Moody Church. So imagine that empty room. And I'm preaching this empty room about the resurrection. And it just felt this heartbreak. I mean, it was, it was a grievous time. We had someone crying, one of our camera people crying that, that we were not here. And I didn't then, but I had to soon say, we, this will not be normal. This is not what we, we are, we are looking towards, right? And here we are in the Advent season waiting for something. And we're going to wait beyond Advent in all likelihood, but probably we get into 2021. Now we're not going to, some people are thinking like church planners are going to say, we're going to relaunch our church. You're probably not going to relaunch your church, right? You're going to slowly regather your church because, uh, and don't leave anyone behind. Uh, one of the things I said recently, I've been preaching at churches in Florida and I said to both churches, I know most of you are still online here. They're actually gathering, um, not, not in Chicago, but here in, in Florida. I said, but nobody gets left behind. We're, we're in this because you're part of it. That's another way you emphasize or elevate your ecclesiology. This is the time to think about the fact that there are two places in the New Testament where there are lists mentioned. Who's on your list? How are you engaging them? How are you caring for them? Emphasize the emergency. This is a temporary thing. This is not forever. Engage the mission. We want to be showing and sharing the love of Jesus in a higher and more aggressive way. And, and continue to encourage towards the right ordering of the church. You know, it's bending, you know, FIC is kind of a, not a, it's a fascinating tradition, but not a direct tradition where like a Presbyterian would say, you know, the, uh, the right preaching of the word of God and the right administration of the sacraments and maybe church discipline. Um, you know, maybe it's more of, of a modern, you know, telling of that like nine marks, but encourage towards the writing of the church, tell you're going to be working towards it and help people to engage back in it. Here's what's going to happen. And you can't do it yet, but what we're doing in places here where we can open is we are recognizing people are going to, have to be re-engaged back into church. They're going to, have to be re-engaged back into church life, which is a new experience for us, um, but an essential one. Uh, what, what, I, what, I, what I say is, what I remind people of, is that the, um, I don't know how your um, church is set up, but most of ours have a back rows and a balcony in some cases. And what I say to people is, the back 20% of your church, probably the people who sat in the back rows and the balcony, they're disconnected and are not thinking about coming back. Now, if your giving has not substantially collapsed, if your giving's down a little bit, your giving's down 10%, then that tells something. But if your giving's down 30, 40%, you, you probably are in a public sector kind of setting. Your, your approach to 
uh, lockdown help has been different than other countries. And so you might not impact as much. But what we found here that's very strange is that many churches of the middle class, more, more affluent are actually up in their giving. And the reason is, is that uh, people who are committed to the church have remained committed to the church. It's the uncommitted people of the church who might have made up 20% of the church on a given Sunday, sat in the back in the balcony. They're disconnected. They weren't giving a lot. So their loss hasn't been noticed. And we're going to have to re-engage them if we're going to be specific and intentional. So let me walk through. The, I have I've, Obviously, I've shared two PowerPoints here today. Let me share the, the other one. And before you ask, I'm happy to uh, share this with, uh, with John. And you can share with whoever he'd, he'd like. If he likes you, he'll share with you you're nice to him. Um, let's see. Here's, um, here's, let me continue through that. So I, I kind of went on the ecclesiology direction for a minute. But let's talk some about the margins. Um, the, the reality is, is that the margins of the church are probably disconnected. And the most likely plan to two sides, of this, the margins of the church, that means that 20% in the back. And when I, when I say 20% on a Sunday morning is disconnected, that could be half your church. Because those disconnected people are the ones who come once every couple of months or whatever it may be. And so um, they have changed their lives without the Sunday gathered experience. So you want to reach those people who are on the margins. And also the most likely place where to reach people today is still on the margins. And so how might we engage in the world where we find ourselves today? That's a, a tricky and important reality for us to, 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 to think through. We have to think through how are we going to engage those people on the margins um, uh, there's a great shuffling going on, and this shuffling is uh, multifaceted. There's a shuffling going on, some degree of what I mentioned in church, but there's a shuffling going on in society that I want you not to miss. Um, one of the things, there's an article in yesterday's New York Times, uh, which is by uh, Ross Douthit. He's a former evangelical practicing Catholic convert, but a conservative uh, writes on these things. And he, they, he wrote about why, and again, forgive me for sharing a little bit about the craziness of the politics in my country. Um, he wrote a little bit about why so many uh, people think the election has not been settled or they've been fooled by the mainstream media. The mainstream media is not telling them the truth. And it was interesting, his article, and he's no, you know, he writes for the New York Times. A conservative writing for the New York Times has to be very careful in her or his words. But he said, part of the reason is, is that that significant forces, sounds like a tin hat wearing conspiracy, uh, but significant cultural forces have actually used the pandemic to advance substantial cultural change and a great shuffling in the way that we think in the last year. Uh, he wrote another article called Waking Up in 2030. And I think it's very helpful. You might consider reading it. And I think it, it is true uh, that what's happened is, is that there has been a sudden fast forward move of history. Let me, uh, let me, let me just show you the, the, uh, the, the article because you might, wanna, you might wanna take a look at it later. Um, but I found it very helpful is that it's called uh, Waking Up in 2030. The suspended time of the pandemic has put history on fast forward. Uh, on, on the one is feeling normal calendar simply stopped, a feeling of hiatus, yet at the same time as a feeling of acceleration of changes that it might've dragged out across a decade piling one on top of the other. Uh, George Floyd protests, the transformation of liberal institutions by internal agitation, changes happening in cities and corporations, colleges and churches. Trends, we were, the, the trends we, we were working slowly seem to have speeded up, seemingly speeded up. And I think this is the case. We're in, the, we're in a time of a great reshuffling. And I, I encourage, I'm gonna drop that article in the chat because I, so, I think it's so helpful. Um, and I've had the privilege of being with Ross at a few things. And uh, 
I uh, wish he hadn't converted to Catholicism, but I appreciate the fact that he's still a very articulate conservative person of faith. So I dropped that in the, in the chat for you. Um, but so there's this great shuffling going on. And so issues, and you say, what are you talking about a pandemic? I mean, you, you can't talk about the culture in the West today and the pandemic and not also talk about transgenderism because it has now become, this is part of the conversation. Uh, you can't talk about issues of race. This is part of the conversation of tolerance. This is part of the conversation. So this great shuffling is really cultural rallies are up for grabs. And, and you know, and, and part of it we see in our politics, you know, when, when, when we see uh, when, when we see elections and, and huge changes, I mean, we, we, we know we know literally what's going on right now with the uh, with the negotiations related to Brexit. And, and, and of course, we know Boris Johnson himself is a um, you know, an, an example of an outlier. There's a great shuffling going on. And um, there's a there's an article that might again might be helpful. Uh, and it talks about how um, there's a great shuffling every uh, certain chunk of years. Right. And and he David Brooks actually talks about this and he, he kind of explains that that eventually uh, every every certain number of decades, there's things that just sort of sort of uh, everything reshuffles, everything reshuffles at, at one time. And, and the question is, what do people do during that great reshuffling? And, and, I, and I would say that, that it's hard, but, but part of it is, is that to acknowledge that, that in the 60s, there was a great reshuffling, right? In the 20s, there was a great reshuffling. And, and these things come, and we are gonna have to be faithful in the midst of it by leaning uh, on the truths of the word of God, the fidelity to scripture, the, the, what we believe about church and more. Let me let me keep moving through this or I'm going to run out of time. And I know that John is very punctual and he'll come up in the middle of my talk like he did at Hemsley when he came up and kind of stood up and told me it was time to be finished. And then I gave him a big hug. Does everyone remember the big hug? I remember the big hug. That was my favorite time at all at Hemsby. Uh, I'm, and I'm ready to give him a virtual hug right now. Um, so let's talk about D-Church. We're, we're going to be engaging. Uh, we often talk about the unchurch. Uh, you know, and, and particularly a post-Christian place, uh, UK far more than where I am, but where I am, not the American South by any stretch either. So, but what we're finding is, is that some of who we're going to have to reach back are the de-churched who were churched or nominally churched or partially churched not that long ago. So keep in mind that strategy needs to include that as well. Um, also to keep, I think one of the things that we're going to see moving forward is hybrid models. So I don't think we'll go, even as I'm telling you all this stuff about ecclesiology, I don't think you should expect to go back to normal um, when it comes to technology. I think that, you know, online is the new Mars Hill. Um, and as such, I think we should expect to function uh, increasingly in ways. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, one of the things that's been strange to me is I've been the last few weeks, whenever I uh, preach at a church, I'm, I'm, I'm a guest, I've been a guest at three different churches in the last three weeks. Um, three weeks ago, I spoke out at um, uh, a church in California, a large church, and, they, and they, they just flew me out to speak, and I never saw anybody. It was all in, a, in our studio, and then they showed it, and it was so strange. So why don't I just do that at home? I could make a studio look like your studio. Uh, but they had a reason. It was trying to break some continuity. Uh, then the, And they don't meet at all. And then the next one met, but they had me come in uh, Saturday morning to record my message for uh, called church, church, church at Home, and a significant number of people engaged in Church at Home. More people I talked to at that church watched online what I pre-recorded than what I did live. And so all three of these, so now I, I think there may be a time, I think we may find that we may continue to record a message 
that is for a community that's not yet there, at least for the foreseeable future. Now, it really depends on who you listen to about the timing of the vaccines. You guys already got your first stick. We haven't gotten our first stick here outside of the, uh, the trial participants. And, and, and a lot of depends on how quickly these things work. But typically, um, I, I talk, this is, uh, we're recording, do me a favor, John, tell me something. If this is, I know we're recording this so people can watch it later. Is it public on the internet? If it's public on the internet, give me a thumbs up. Is it public on the internet? Okay, then I'm not gonna give this next story. But I recently had a conversation with some, some people that you would recognize about uh, in health in our country. And uh, <clears throat> we asked him and her, there was uh, two of them, uh, kind of a private meeting with some evangelical leaders. And we asked the question, um, what is the timing, do you think? And, and they said, we're, we're pretty confident that by summer, you're gonna be having vacation Bible school. You're gonna be having uh, things back in summer camps that by summer. And so I pressed a little bit and I said, I'm, I'm mostly concerned about Easter. And it was very difficult for people to give a hard answer. And it felt to me like we're still going to be at Easter, you know, wearing, wearing masks, so be, perhaps being able to gather. I don't think it's the full lockdown you're experiencing there or we're experiencing in Chicago. So we'll be together on Easter probably. But it's going to be very difficult because so much of our evangelism has been, hey, let's bring friends to Easter. And all those de-churched people we want to bring to Easter. So I think we've got to think in terms of hybrid for that, for the foreseeable future. It's at least six months to offer that. And maybe it never goes back, although I want to emphasize in-person gatherings really do matter. Uh, I think pastoring has become uh, remarkably difficult. We actually, um, we've seen crises here. I, I, I don't follow enough of the uh, UK to know if you've seen uh, the crises there, but we've seen crises here uh, of, of a stunning amount. The number of people who believe will leave the ministry uh, after COVID will be, will be substantive, I believe, substantive. Uh, we actually launched a resource called, because uh, we think it's so essential, we've launched a resource called Resilient Church Leadership. This is Resilient Church Leadership. And um, it's, it's to connect pastors dealing with internal pressures like burnout, mental stability, and external pressures, cultivating their church online, caring for their congregation. And we do, um, you know, basically, we, we get a good group of psych, uh, pastors, psychologists, uh, and, and therapists, and we have a series of webinars, uh, you know, how in difficult times, how do you, how do you work through some of these, these, these things? Um, we, we look at, um, we, we look at uh, resources, you know, videos, articles. Uh, we, did, we had just done a summit in December of last year, a year ago, which in COVID time is about 17 years ago. And during that summit, we talked about, um, we, we gathered people to talk about some of the challenges. Uh, Philip Riken, who's, uh, who I think is an Oxford man, maybe a Cambridge man. I, don't, I should know the difference. I know, but I don't remember. Um, and talked about depression. I talked about state of pastors today. Rick Warren about uh, finding friends in the journey. Just a, a very wonderful pastor's family. Uh, creating caring organizations, uh, benefits of a broken pastor. So we really went through and provided, and then it just built on that. So for us, I want you to hear that um, it's okay not to be okay right now. This has been a really bad time. It's not normal. Don't give up. Um, stay stay with us. And and, and of course, lastly, um, the, the question of unity is always before us. What has this done for us? I think what it's done is for a lot of people, it's brought them together. Um, it's, uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I, I watch all these, uh, these blessing videos and it's always one came out of the UK and it's always interesting to see who's included and who's not included. And, and I, 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 so I watched that and saw, saw an FIEC church engaged in that as well, which was interesting. I, I would say that, um, I'm not a big proponent of ecumenical unity for the sake of ecumenical unity. If I don't agree on the mission, I don't agree that men and women are dead in their trespasses and sins and need a new life in Christ. 
I can unite for the cause of defeating bad. I can be a co-belligerent, but I can't really have gospel unity. But I have seen substantial gospel unity. I think you have as well, where churches, for example, many churches were meeting in venues that have closed and now they need to record. And some of you have invited one another to come use our space. Let's help you to do that. And I think it's built a greater sense of of unity. So my, my focus has been, and I'm going to stop talking now, my focus has been ecclesiology, margins, shuffling, dechurched, hybrid, pastoring, and unity in the post-COVID church. I'm going to turn it back over to John, and I know we're going to have some, some Q&A as well. Thanks for the opportunity to share with you, and I do look forward to getting to know some of you better. Like I said, I'll be resident there for about six months with Donna, and um, and looking forward to, to, to seeing the grab. We might stay at Hemsby if 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 it was the worst place and the last place in the world we could stay, but we'll we'll see. It's a great place for a denominational meeting. Uh, Ed, thank you very much indeed. Um, you said you were coming in 2013. Do you mean 2023? I mean 2023. Did I say 2030? I have a time machine. You did. I am Dr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much for helping us to understand some of the challenges that um, we face, how to respond to them. Um, I guess we'd resonate with many of those. But well, welcome back, everybody. One of the things we've really missed in this time is the opportunity to meet with one another physically. Um, in a sense, being able to do that on Zoom and pray together is a kind of a deficient alternative. And we look forward to the day when we will be able to gather with one another once again at local conferences and um, our national conference. Um, but an opportunity for us to be able to um, ask any questions. Phil, um, you're moderating the questions to Ed and myself. Um, any questions to kick us off with? Uh, yeah, first one for you, Ed, uh, if I could, please. Um, what sort of specific areas of ecclesiology do you think we should be focusing on? So uh, it was something that came out of our little breakout room. I think it's a really helpful question. What, what, what do you think we should be particularly focused on as we think that? Yeah, I, I would think that you want to, in, 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 in my view, and I recognize, that, first of all, you know, you're a fellowship of independent churches, so people can take this differently. So I'm not giving you ecclesiological directives, but here's what I would say. I would say to continue to emphasize that if we can't meet, there's something wrong and we should feel angsty about it. We should be bothered by it. Now, again, there's sort of a challenge here because, you know, you're by saying those things, are you saying this is an Acts 4 moment and, you know, moving out of a Romans 13 moment? And that's actually not where I am and what I'm saying. Though I'm not saying that that wouldn't be forever be the case, but I, but I, but I am saying that I, I want us to say that if we're following this as a Romans 13 moment, that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I want us to articulate that regularly even at the beginning of each of each gathering, I, I, I would I, I say when I'm at my church, I say, listen, because uh, remember that building at the beginning, we can't even get in there. We haven't met, we met once since pandemic and since shutdown. And I, I, when I'm preaching, I preach online and I say, listen, um, let's not be satisfied with this. This is not the way it's, we need an embodied, lived together church experience. Uh, we, and you can go, oh, you know, you guys have all taught on this, so you can give a hundred things related to that. So I think the gathering is part of that. So here's where it gets a little trickier. Uh, what about the ordinances? What about the Lord's Supper and baptism? I don't know if you use the word ordinances or sacraments. In my term, in my world, it's ordinances. So what about the ordinances? Can we or should we practice those ordinances? And and I, and I think the, the for me, I'm of the the the, the thing the, the thought that we should delay or participate in ways that are temporarily deficient. So baptism might be we have access to the building, 10 of us can go in, we videotape it, because I, I think baptism is something that the, the community needs to experience together. We, we video it live. So I'm saying, but this is not, again, the way it's supposed to be. And it's just partly just tricky. How far do you need to go? You know, and I know Mark Dever is, uh, has a, you know, probably a disproportionate influence on this group in a, in a good way from my perspective. Um, so we had Mark with our class in, uh, a couple months ago, and, you know, they, they actually, um, they don't stream their services. They don't, they don't, they, they, they theologically think 
So what, what I'm saying to you is Mark has taken to its natural conclusion that there's nothing for you unless you come and gather. And so they've actually been gathering outside, which is getting harder and harder in the 40 degree weather. Oh, I can't, I got to do the transition into, into Celsius, but in the cold, um, in, as it gets colder and colder, now we're in the winter. And so they actually, um, they believe and won a legal case saying that it's tied to their religious freedom, that meeting is inherent to their religious beliefs. And I, I think all of us should say that. I think all of us should say that and recognize that there may be a temporarily deficient expression of that. So those are the areas. So, so meeting and ordinances. What I would say is a lot of the other things you can still do. You can still do community. We're doing some level of community right here. I can see you on the, on the screen. I can do small groups. I can do discipleship. But there are elements. I mean, how many times have we quoted Hebrews 10, 25 in, in normal times? It's still true in abnormal times. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Now, I'm not one who believes, therefore, you should you know, move to the Acts 4 column. I think we're still in a Romans 13 column. Um, but I think if we had um, kind of in my head, the clock I had in my head, because I asked I, one, one of the more prominent American pastors, uh, I do a podcast called Stetzer Leadership Podcast. And one of the more prominent American pastors said, we're moving online and we're, we're stopping this guess, guessing. And he said, you know, it's better to have clarity than certainty. And so, so we're not going to meet in 2020. This was five months ago, he said that. And I said to him, well, what, what happens if the vaccine doesn't work? Now, again, I recognize we're not at that place anymore, but you know that, that you know, HIV AIDS, there's no vaccine for that. And there, you remember H1N1, swine flu, that's still in the system. There were still, swine flu goes through, and it just turned out to be less virulent than we expected. My daughter had one of the first cases. So, so my question for him was, well, what if there's no, what if there's no vaccine? And I would say, that we'd have to come to the place that we're going to decide to meet in the midst of a pandemic because there have been depending on how you count 24 pandemics since the beginning of christianity and this is the only one where we stopped meeting in for those 24 pandemics and i think it was the right thing it was for the good of our neighbor i wrote an early article before it was required talking about maybe pausing meeting for the good of our neighbor um but i do think that couldn't be forever and if january was coming around because you know the Spanish flu killed far more people in your country and my country than, than COVID has. And the churches there and the churches here met begin during, and, and they, they didn't know all the difference about viral vector exponential trans, transmission, but they knew getting near people made them sick. So, but they met through those things. Thankfully, thank God um, that we are not going to have to face the question of how do we restore normative ecclesiology while we still have a pandemic raging that won't ultimately stop. We, we now know that the, 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 the vaccines are working and we're probably talking first quarter of next year to things get a little bit more normal. So thanks, Phil, for your question. I don't even think that was your question, but thanks for the question. No, that's really helpful. Uh, just, just on the back of some of the stuff you said there, we've had a question come in uh, asking about what your view is of the churches that haven't um, adhered to kind of restrictions during the period and have carried on regardless, sort of no masks, no social distancing. What would you, uh, what would your view be on on those without naming any names, Ed? Oh, I don't mind naming names, um, but um, you know, I don't agree. You know, I, you, the big question is, is, you know, people ask me, should we go John MacArthur? And so let's name names since that's what we're thinking in terms of, I, I, I would say that that has been um, very, the reception of that has been fascinating here. There's a sense that there's a significant percentage of the population who believes uh, that what John, Pastor John has done is, uh, is right and courageous. And one of the hardest things to challenge, matter of fact, with John MacArthur doing that, it's made it harder for the rest of us. 
because it's been a sense of there's maybe when I go to church, 25% of the people think we're compromised cowards because we haven't defied the government authorities. You know, masks are, you know, there's no pandemic. John said there's no pandemic. So what I would say is saying things like there's no pandemic is really unhelpful. Um, I would say churches are going to decide how best to gather. And, and I'm a real believer in the autonomy of the local church and people should make those decisions with their elders. Um, I think putting it binding on the conscience of others. And this is where you saw the contrast. You know, John MacArthur and Mark Dever are good friends. And Mark Dever spoke up and spoke out afterwards when it kind of was like John said, well, we're going to do this. We're asking everybody else to do this. And there's a thing to sign and you got to stand up. And, and Mark said, that's not, first of all, we don't need to bind the conscience of other churches. And so um, I'm at the place where when false information is communicated, like there's no pandemic, I think that's unhelpful. There is a pandemic, thousands upon thousands of people are dying dying every day in the world of this, uh, with this. And so uh, as far as like them gathering without mitigations and restrictions, I think that gives a message to the community that's unhelpful. And we, when we see um, people in the community say, you're putting the rest of us in danger, because it's kind of like, you know, when young adults are going to the parties and the bars, you know, one of the things that Dr. Fauci said recently is close all the bars, open all the schools. I'm like, yes, that's the right solution. Close the bars open the schools. And we think of those young adults going to bars and we think of them as selfish and because they may not themselves get sick because they're young and they might have mild symptoms, but they go home and they maybe their neighbor, their grandparents' neighbors get, get sick from them. And what I would say is I don't want to take actions in such a way, particularly when we're just on the horizon of the other side of a, there is a pandemic and there are vaccines. And I, I think ultimately it can harm our witness it can energize Christians and harm our witness at the same time. And I would say we want to be really careful. So, you know, I'm in a different part of the country now where they're actually together. So I spoke at a church called Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, um, which again, I, I recognize the numbers are so different, but just stay with me just for the sake of this. So I've been in my church, everyone's seating, you know, so far apart and following all these very particular rules. And most people aren't coming to church or why we are 20%. Uh, when I went to Calvary Chapel, they were maybe at 50%, but 50% is seven, 8,000 people. Now they're spread out. They're following the rules. But to be in a room of people singing was a beautiful thing. I missed it. Um, but I also know that, and Florida, you know, the communities in Florida, it's different. They, they're not perceiving, and there's also much less community spread in Florida, probably because it's in the winter and people go outside in the winter here. Um, so what I would say is, um, first, when you spread misinformation, like there's no pandemic, that's unhelpful. Uh, I think each church needs to make its own decision under its local elders not to bind the conscience of others as well. I think John's been careful to do that, even as he's explained how they're following. A, they're kind of still in a Romans 13 frame. Uh, and finally, I think you need to ask the question about your witness in your community. And I think um, I think that has been hindered in many churches that have thrown off all caution, not followed mitigation and and more. That may be too blunt for you because I know some of those people are your friends, but that's that's my thought. And I've not been subtle articulating that. So I figured I wouldn't be subtle articulating that here. Thanks very much, Ed. Uh, John, this might be one you, you want to chip in on, or Ed, you, you could as well. And Ed, you talked about unity. Obviously, John, FIC's uh, ecumenism statement means that our churches will not gather with churches together. A time like this is often more pressure to be pulled into those groups and show unity. How can churches uh, winsomely respond to that? Well, I, I believe actually unity historically has been the pathway to theological liberalism and compromise. And so so I think that what happens is we say, like in an emergency, we just need each other. Let's, let's put aside our egos and our logos and our doctrinal statements. And I don't think you can. I think candid cooperation, 
could happen in some contexts um, is you might say um, with other believers who see the gospel similarly, uh, and, I, and again, you have to figure out what are essential issues. These are essential issues. These are the only people I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if they don't disagree with me on the essential issues, they might disagree with me on some convictional issues. For example, Presbyterians baptize babies, Baptists don't. Um, you know, so, so that's, a, that's a convictional issue that puts us in different denominations. But I, I would still cooperate in some ways with, I'm, a, I'm not a Presbyterian. I wouldn't plant churches with Presbyterians, but, but I, I would pray together with Presbyterians. I, I could do an evangelistic campaign with, with Presbyterians. And then there are just preferential issues. Some people are contemporary, some traditional, whatever. So kind of, I have a whole grid that I kind of think through what unity looks like. So it's real important. So even when I mentioned that, I was cautious because um, I don't, I don't rush into, um, for me, it's unity on the mission, in unity in the mission and around the gospel. If I, if I don't agree on the gospel, I don't, I can't, now, now again, I, this may be, when I say the gospel, some of you may be thinking Calvinism, and that's not what I mean. I, I, I mean, you know, I don't think Calvinism is the gospel, though we, we know that that has been said by certain UK preachers of, of past, not, maybe not now, but there, so, so I want to be careful in my unity that the unity doesn't end up causing confusion in what we believe and what we we teach, but here's what I would just say. Churches are helping each other at a higher level all across the world, uh, sharing facilities and more. And I think that's a good thing. So how that plays out, John, I'd love to hear you kind of weigh in how the uh, FIEC would think about how that plays yeah. out. Because I, I want to be cautious. I'm not saying, um, and you know, you can see the like the longevity of our ministry. I'm not saying that we we take, you know, the whole, the whole I wrote, I've written whole scholarly work on how the mistake in Edinburgh of the World Missionary Conference in 1910 was they said, oh, let's just focus on Jesus. Let's forget everything else. Well, and then within about 30 years, they, they didn't know what the gospel was anymore. So John, what would you add to that? I think I just actually it's the distinction within FIEC between co-belligerence, uh, which is on things other than the gospel and standing together in the gospel for worship and evangelism. And I think that's still an important distinction. I think a crisis is not the time to redefine the way that you join together with others. In fact, in, in many ways, I think uh, one hopes that most churches have already articulated their relationship re relationships locally uh, on that basis. Um, uh, uh, there obviously is more pressure because in, in crisis times, people want to say, well, surely this crisis time must mean that we compromise those convictions. But I think those convictions still remain uh, sort of Im important that we um, uh, say we, we absolutely love to work with everybody who shares our gospel convictions, which are broad in the, the basis of the FIEC statement of faith. Um, those who love the Lord Jesus and um, love the Bible, uh, we want to stand with them, worship with them, encourage them. We want to work on issues like gospel freedom with everybody um, who is prepared to stand together. And I think that's the balance that churches have to work out. And one of the lessons here, I think, is that often if you've not worked that out in local relationships before a crisis, the crisis is not the place with which to do it. I think for lots of churches, you need to have had friendly relationships with other church leaders, even though you disagree with, and you want them to understand what your boundaries are that you've established. Um, and you hope that people won't then be putting pressure on you to break them because they know what they are and they respect them. Yeah, I think good. I didn't know you used the language co-belligerence. That's super helpful. I mentioned that earlier. Yeah, yeah. So that's the language that I use. So uh, I use co-belligerence related to social issues. So uh, certain issues like the pandemic and I use levels of partnership, um, you know, where things are essential, things are convictional, things are preferential. And I wouldn't partner in gospel work with people who don't share the essential characteristics of the gospel believing community. So good, good. Some so other questions. What else? 
Oh, we've got about four minutes left. So okay. um, if you want to kind of tailor the questions to where we want to go, we'll yeah, finish fine. 10 past. Yeah, that's fine. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a couple left. So maybe one for Ed and one for you, John, as we come to an end, if that's all right. So Ed, uh, this one for you. Um, how do we help coax back some of those who we're worried about on the margins, some of those who sit at the back and in the balconies, as you put it? Yeah, that's that's the big question right now that we're actually, we're, I'm trying to figure, we, we may do a, a whole campaign to help churches to do that. Right, well, for, let me give a quick thing. So Christmas, we're doing a campaign at our church where I'm asking everybody in the church who's on Facebook to click the Facebook live button. We're giving them some outlines to share their testimony, tag all their friends. Cause now we gotta be a little more ag aggressive when it comes to evangelism because you can't just invite your neighbors to church, tag all their friends. And we're calling it Christmas and Calvary, Calvary's name of our church and, and invite them to our Christmas Eve gathering online. We think that's a, that's a good way. And we're trying to keep some of those marginalized people involved in that as well. Now, as far as the goes from there, I, I would say, um, we need a list that starting probably in January, you know, maybe Christmas Eve itself, that we're beginning to say, uh, what's our regular contact with all of those people in the life of our church? I, I would do a full church-wide uh, canvas survey. I'd call every person in the church, talk about where they are, talk about the plans, talk about the future, see how they're doing, are they engaging? And I would mark those in, in green, things are doing well, yellow, we're struggling, red, we've got to engage. And then I would get to an intentional pastoral process to bring them back in a loving, caring way, uh, helping them to, when the time comes, say, listen, we're going to have to start having services, really want to encourage you. Boy, what a privilege it will be. We can actually meet together in person. I hope you'll make that a priority. So I think it's just a simple, simple means of giving them close attention and care right now, and then reaching out to get them engaged and involved. That's grand. Uh, John, uh, one for you here about the, the restrictions. It's worth saying, brothers and sisters, John has asked a couple of specific questions to government that we've been getting as frequently asked questions into the office. One is about when singing restrictions come to an end and whether they continue after the 28th of December. We're waiting for uh, an answer on that. And the second one is about sharing lifts in cars, which has come up today. That's also been given to the government. So uh, a lot of people have been asking those questions into the FIEC office. Those have been passed to the government, hoping for an answer uh, on those. Uh, John, one specifically here about outdoor carol services. Are face masks a requirement at outdoor carol services or not? Uh, no, I don't think so, because um, uh, there's no law requiring face masks. That applies to indoor gatherings. Um, there are obviously organisers of outdoor carol services need to bear in mind the guidance about seeking to minimise COVID risk. Face masks could be a mitigation, but actually they're not a necessary mitigation, provided that you observe social distancing. So I think the key thing with outside carol services is to ensure that there is sufficient social distancing between those who are coming to sing. You have to remember and bear in mind the principles about groups. So there doesn't need to be social distancing between people who are within a, a kind of a bubble or a household. So irrespective of which tier you're in, if you're in a household, you can gather uh, kind of outside with your household and you don't have to distance from them. And of course, between the 23rd and 27th of uh, kind of uh, December, the household basically can be the three bubbled households that are, are together. If you're not um, in the same household, well, in tier three, you can't gather even outside with people from outside your household. You mustn't form a group with them. In tier two, you can gather with up to six people from outside your household. Um, but you still have to maintain social distancing because they're not in your household. And then you have to maintain social distancing between the groups. So um, social distancing is the key issue in relation to outdoor carol services, not the wearing of face masks. That's great. Thanks, John. And thanks, Ed. Uh, that's uh, all the questions. Ed, thank you so much indeed for joining us and giving us your time. We really appreciate it. 
Um, uh, can I um, uh, encourage you to join us next week? Let me tell you what's happening next week. Um, throughout this whole COVID um, uh, crisis, one of the issues has been how do we as evangelical Christians engage with government um, uh, on matters that are of concern to us? Obviously, the restrictions are a matter of concern to us, but it's a much bigger issue. And there are a variety of things coming down the line that are going to be hugely significant for evangelical Christians. I think the whole issue of same-sex relationships, conversion therapy, hate speech are massive, massive issues Christians are going to have to face. How do we as a minority engage with um, government? So we're going to be thinking about that next week in the context of both COVID, but also those bigger issues. And uh, Nola Leach, who heads up CARE, is going to be coming and talking to us about some principles for good engagement with government. Um, and Tim Farron, MP, who's um, a member of an FIEC church, is also going to come and share something of his personal experience of what it feels like on the side of the line of being the politician. So I hope that will just help us to think through how can we engage well with government, local MPs, national political structures, not just for COVID, but actually beyond COVID, um, because there are some huge issues that we're going to be facing uh, in uh, the coming period. So do come um, and join us then. Why don't I pray as we finish? Father, we want to thank you and praise you for this time. Thank you for Ed and his insight. Thank you for the things that he's encouraged us to think about. We do want to pray that we would be those who recognise that we're in a period um, just of deficient provision because of an emergency. We pray that you'd help us to lead our churches well in that time. Uh, we pray that they'd make the most of opportunities that come their way. I pray particularly for um, all of our churches within the FIEC and their leaders as we prepare for Christmas, that we might be able to make the most of the opportunities that we have. Please help us to begin to think wisely about what implications there will be for our long-term ministries. Please help us to connect with those who are drifting from our churches. Please help us to um, know how to be connecting um, uh, with those who are unchurched in our communities. Uh, please uh, give us uh, wisdom and strength to be able to pastor people well in these uh, challenging times. So thank you for what we've been able to think about. Um, uh, please, uh, would you be with Ed? Uh, watch over him and his ministry in America. Father, we are conscious of the many challenges at this moment facing America, facing the American church. Please, would you give them great wisdom? Uh, please, would there be a biblically faithful leaders who would stand firm for you? Um, uh, uh, and we ask and pray for um, a revival and a growth in uh, gospel churches across the states. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the FIC podcast. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and visit our website at fiec.org.uk.